0: The Old Testament scripture reading for this morning, as well as the sermon text, begins in Exodus 13:17. When Pharaoh let the people go, God did not lead them on the road through the Philistine country, though that was shorter. For God said, if they face war, they might change their minds and return to Egypt. So God led the people around by the desert road toward the Red Sea. The Israelites went up out of Egypt armed for battle. Moses took the bones of Joseph with him because Joseph had made the sons of Israel swear an oath. He had said, "God will surely come to your aid, and then you must carry my bones up with you from this place." After leaving Succoth, they camped at Etham on the edge of the desert. By day, the Lord went ahead of them in a pillar of cloud to guide them on their way, and by night in a pillar of fire to give them light, so that they could travel by day or night. Neither the pillar of cloud by day, nor the pillar of fire by night, left its place in front of the people. Thus ends reading of God's holy word this morning. Let us... Go now to our God in prayer. Our Father, as we are gathered this day to hear you speak to us from your word, we pray that you would do so. We pray that the power of your word and the power of your Holy Spirit would work in our hearts, piercing our hardened hearts. Soften them, Lord, we pray, that we might understand what your word would have for us and how we might live in accordance with your revealed will. We pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Life is a journey. Life is like a road that extends onward before us, and we honestly don't know exactly where it will take us along the way. You know, Surely it will take us through some good times. The road will wander through some beautiful landscaping, green rolling hills, clear streams, blue skies where nothing could possibly go wrong. And sometimes life takes us through deep, dark valleys, through bogs and swamps and places we never intend to visit again. There are several Christian authors who have picked up on this theme throughout the century, and throughout the centuries on the life being a journey. Uh, If you've ever read Pilgrim's Progress or are familiar with that whole story, uh, the whole of the story is centered around Christian's journey in life and the hope that is held out for him at the end of it all. And Bunyan's point is to ask the question, how do we live well as Christians walking on this journey now? How do we walk according to the calling by which we have been called? More recently, in the last century, J.R.R. Tolkien does the same thing in The Lord of the Rings, a little bit more of a fantasy edge to it. But as Frodo is sent on this quest, this journey to Morador to destroy the ring of power, you can't help, as you read this story, feel the overtones to real life and the journey that we are all on. But there's one point in that story in particular that I think gets well at what We see here in our text today, and that is when uh, they begin this journey together, the Fellowship of the Ring, when Gandalf is taking this band of nine toward Morador, and he guides them, and the most direct route that they would take is over the Misty Mountains. And yet, because of a storm that rages, they end up having to backtrack and go a different way, and they end up taking a much darker path a path that is much less desired through the heart of the mountain. While they are journeying through the heart of the mountain, they awaken a dark creature who will indeed be the death of Gandalf, their guide. And as these events unfold, as you're drawn right up into this story as the reader, you can't help but know that the plight these ones are going through and asking the question, why? Why must they go through this? Why must this journey take them on this winding road instead of the straight and direct way? Why must there be heartache along this journey, the morning of the death of a friend? Even as you come towards the end of the story, Frodo and Sam can't get into Mordor by the main gate. They have to take a much less direct path, and life gets more complicated for them as they go on this dark path. And we wonder, for them and for ourselves, when life seems to get more complicated, why, oh Lord, do you choose particular roads for me? Why do you lead me this way instead of on the straight road that would have been the obvious choice for me? And that is what our text addresses as we see our God guiding his people. Our God guiding his people. Our text opens up in verse 17 and the first thing that we see is God taking his people on a journey. And we've known this is going to happen for some time now that this has been coming. Uh, we've known it since the end of chapter 12, at least, that God's people begin to leave the land of Egypt. They begin to walk towards Succoth. They have plundered the Egyptians. They have carried their bread and kneading troughs on their shoulders. They've got all of their goods with them, their cattles, their herds, their sheep, their goats. Everything is leaving the land of Egypt with them because it is time to leave. It's time to move on. So we know clearly that God's people are being taken somewhere in this life. They have embarked on a journey from which there is no turning back. They will not return to the slavery of Egypt. But where is it that God is taking them? I mean, where is God uh, is it that God would have us see that he is going? Well, we've already been told that God's people are being brought from Egypt out of the house of bondage to go to the promised land to have their feet firmly planted in the land of Canaan. That's where God said he would take them. That's where he promised Abraham that they would return to. But notice what the text says in verse 17. When Pharaoh let the people go, God did not lead them by the way of the land of the Philistines, although that was near. For God said, lest the people regret in seeing war, and they return to Egypt. So God turned the people on the way Of the wilderness toward the Red Sea. Notice God does intend to take the people of God to the promised land. The end never changes, the goal is always the same for them. But God doesn't take them the way that we expect Him to take them. He doesn't go directly to the nearest route or immediately. And that day, there are a a few different ways that you could go to Canaan from Egypt. The land of Israel uh, uh, will eventually. Uh, the land that Israel will eventually come to dwell in. And you can see this if you look at one of those maps in the back of your Bibles, you know it, it, the land of Israel is pretty much north of Egypt and a little bit to the east of it. And the most common way to go there from Egypt, to get to Canaan land was going along what's called the coastal highway, because it ran directly north from Egypt along the coast and then turned east as you came into the land of Canaan. And so we expect God to take his people along the way of the sea. It's the most obvious choice if you're fleeing from one country and trying to get to another to take the most direct route. I mean, if you're flying, you want to take the most direct flight possible. If you're going to be going out to California. Uh, The best, most coveted plane ticket is the one that heads from BWI directly out to San Diego or LA or wherever in California you're you're going to. Uh, We all prefer the direct flight if we can find that ticket. That's why it's usually a little bit more pricey. And if you fly frequently enough, you'll learn uh, that often the tickets are a little bit cheaper if you're willing to have a layover in Georgia that stops over in Chicago before you get out to California uh, for a few extra hours. It's more inconvenient... But that's why people are constantly looking for the direct flights. Well, the direct flight, if you will, from Egypt is north and east. It's not a terribly far journey either. In fact, if you go north and east along the fastest highway, you'll get to Canaan in about two weeks' time. But God doesn't lead them this way. He leads them in the exact opposite direction. He leads them south and says this is the direction that they need to go. And there's no way that as the people start journeying, they don't realize what is going on. There's a reason the people of God will be asking soon enough, why did you bring us out into this wilderness, Moses? Is it because there weren't enough graves back in Egypt? I mean, what's the point of going this way? Of all the ways that you could take us out of the land of Egypt, it's not just that this is a roundabout way, but it will ultimately take them not three weeks, not four weeks, but 40 years before they get into Canaan. That is a long cry from a two-week journey. And the question is, why would God take his people this way? It seems to us that the obvious route is being ignored. Why is it that God is instead of taking his people on a path that is the clearest choice, he is taking them further away from it and far longer to get to where they are supposed to go, at least in their mind. I mean, that's the question we ask in our own lives sometimes, isn't it? God, why have you brought me to this particular place? Why didn't you let me have the promotion that I deserve Why is it I can't seem to pass this class or have the brood of children that I so often dreamed about? God, why are you bringing me this way on life's journey? Why are you bringing me through these particular valleys and dark times? And we feel lost and confused and maybe bitter and angry. And so what should we do when life's paths don't measure up what we wanted to take place or what we expected for ourselves? Well, God tells us, even on those paths, what we must understand is that he is our guide. He hasn't brought us to a place that he doesn't intend to provide for us or lead us through. He has not brought us out to the desert to die, but he will get us through. He always has his reasons, even if we do not see them or cannot see them for years Even before our, you know, to our dying breath, Job was brought through a crazy journey in his life, and he never understood why it was that God took him on that path. Not before his dying breath, not until he entered into glory, but he, God always has his purposes, even as he does here. You see, if Israel had gone the way of the coastal highway, it is well known that along that way were Egyptian military strongholds. Now, our text doesn't tell us that because it's assumed in the background. The Egyptians had a very strong military presence as you moved in the northern direction. And in fact, we even have some writings that tell us that these military uh, uh, installations, these towers or places captured uh, two escaping slaves, just two, as they were running away from Egypt. Now how in the world if two couldn't get past all of these this military might. How in the world would this massive army get past them? They wouldn't be able to without war. And Moses tells us Israel has no stomach yet for war. They aren't ready for it. That One of the reasons they don't go north right away is because though it is indeed an army that is leading Egypt. And that is the language used in the text it is a host going forth that is ready for battle, that this particular army is not yet ready to make war, that they aren't yet willing to fight. In fact, it will only drive them further into the arms of Pharaoh again, that false god of Egypt, and God will not let his children go so easily. So he takes them a different way. So what then do you do with an army that's not ready for battle? You don't take them into a war zone right away. Oh, eventually Israel will end up going to war and it will even happen as soon as chapter 17. But God God does not take them to war until he demonstrates first to them again and again how he is the one fighting for them. How he will provide and protect and defend them and he will do that all at the Red Sea very shortly and in fact, chapters 14 through 16 are focused on the provision of God, how he will protect his people, how he will defend his people, how he will provide for his people, even though it seems like there's no way forward. You see, people of God, God is always, God always has a purpose when he takes us the long way. When life's road seems to bend and go a direction we don't want to go, God is using it to teach us our complete and utter dependence upon him for all things. Maybe he's only doing it so that you don't aren't allowed, uh, you don't allow that particular good thing that you desire, the promotion or the multiple children. Maybe he's only doing it so that those things don't become an idol to you, that they become your god that ensnares you. But if that is what God is doing, doing, if He's protecting you. From returning to your false gods. Isn't that a good enough reason to let him lead us where he will? And to trust that he has our best interest in mind even when we hate the road that he has us on? God has his purpose in guiding his people in the paths that he chooses for us. But even as he chooses the road he takes his people on, he never abandons us. But he is always with his people. God is with his people. God is. Is with his people. As you move on in our text, you'll notice in verses twenty-one and twenty-two, God does something wonderful for His people here. As God's people journey from Succoth to Etham. Which is right on the edge of the wilderness that they're about to get very well acquainted with, as they're going to spend uh, the course of the next forty years as they move south and direct uh, direction. None of the people of God would have chosen for themselves. We hear in the text that say the Lord walked before them by day, and a pillar of cloud leading them on the way, and by night a pillar of fire to shine to them, to give them light in day and night. Just think about that for a moment. You're leaving everything you've ever known your whole life long. Yes, you're leaving the slavery of Egypt behind for this promised land, but you've never seen it. Your parents never saw it. You've never set foot on that land. And for most of your life, at least, until these past ten plagues showed up, everything was pretty good in your life. But now, you are leaving behind everything that you know for this vague promise of a land flowing with milk and honey that you've never seen. And to top it all off, you're walking in the wrong direction. You and this host of God's people who surround you. And you are wondering, how can this possibly be right? How is this possible that God would bring me along this way, away from the good land of Egypt and take me to the edge of this barren wasteland that I stand at? Does God really intend for us to walk through this wilderness? I mean, surely there must be some other way for us to go. When suddenly you look up from the worries that are playing through your mind out of the troubles of the day or the week or the year and you see it before you, a cloud. Not just any cloud, but one that towers before you like a pillar or a tornado that extends from heaven to the earth. And as the people of God march forward, it always goes before them, casting its shade over them, its protection over them from the heat Bef- right there before your eyes stands a visible, tangible reminder that God is literally with his people. He hasn't just made promises and sent you on, a w- on your way like a-, a salesman. He hasn't said, I'm sending you to a land flying with milk and honey. Good luck. And you know, here's some gold from Egypt. Be warm, be filled. Now you're on your own. No, God, the God of all creation has touched his feet down upon this earth and walks before you. And where he goes, where he directs your feet is exactly where he has planned for you to go. Can you imagine what that would be like? Can you picture it? In the middle of the night, you wake up worried about where your next meal is going to come from. As the cupboards begin to run bare, as you haven't worked in a month, and the provisions seem to be running short. And as you think about your wife and your kids and what you're going to do now, or you think of the health troubles your spouse is having and you wonder what the future might hold, then you look at your tent flap and see that flame of fire and the presence of God before you, putting off its heat to warm you in those cold desert nights and light. And you know beyond any shadow of a doubt that no matter what will come, God is with you and he will guide you and he will protect you He covers over you by day, giving you shade from the heat. He gives you light by night so that you will be able to see by his light and the text says the pillar and the cloud of fire they did not depart they never left from before the eyes of the people of God for the next 40 years God will go before them in this visible tangible way and you could listen to the doubts of your teenage daughter or son and say don't worry I know things look bleak on this journey but God is with us and if you doubt me, don't doubt your eyes. Look up. He is the one who marches before us. God is with us. It is, you know, God is with us. He is right here. It is interesting that this is the name that Christ will take to himself. Emmanuel, meaning God with us, for he has drawn near to us in this child. And as an Israelite in This day, to see the cloud of fire, or the, uh, excuse me, the cloud or the fire, it would be good enough for us, wouldn't it? To know that God really is with us. I mean, if you could know these truths as Israel did this day, wouldn't it be enough for wherever your journey is taking you? To know that God is directing your path, that He is guiding you, that He will not depart. It would be enough. We say, well, it is good enough for them, but we can't know that, can we? There's no pillar of cloud today or fire. When I wake up in the night because of my anxiety raking me, I think of deadlines or moving and bills that are unpaid, and I'm told that we must walk by faith and not by sight. Where is our assurance that God is guiding us on this journey called life? Where is our assurance that God is with us? And that's when we notice something strange right in the middle of this text. You may have noticed it already, but I'd like to direct your attention to verse 19 about Joseph's bones. Right in the middle of this text, we find these strange words about Joseph's bones. And you'll recall at the end of Genesis, Joseph made his sons promise him, That they would bring his long dead bones out of Egypt when they left. Which we see and think, how strange. What an odd thing to request and to do. And then we see it again right now here in our text. And some suppose it's simply here to record that God's people did what they were supposed to do. That they kept their end of the promise to him. But if that is the case, you have to wonder, why is it here in this particular text I mean, why put it right here in the middle of this text that emphasizes God with us on our journey? Why write about it now in the middle of these verses where God is guiding us and where he is being with us? People of God, it's here because that was the very heart of Joseph's words that he spoke to his sons. He says, hey, when I die, I want you to bring my bones out of this weary land. He said it because one day God will visit you god will be with you in the flesh he will lead you home and he's not going to stand on the sidelines and wave forever but he is going to visit you tangibly walking before you he is going to enter into your history and walk before you And oh, how i long to see that day for myself so take me with you on that day And Hebrews tells us that by faith, Joseph gave direction concerning his bones because Joseph's whole hope was centered on the fact that one day God would visit his people and be with his people and tabernacle with his people as he leads them home. The people of God, that day is being fulfilled right now. I mean, surely we've seen the God-man come. We've seen Christ enter into human history. He has visited his people for he is Emmanuel, God with us. He has delivered us from bondage of sin and death and the devil. He has delivered us from evil. And right before Christ departs into the heavens, what is it that he declares to his children? Behold, I am with you always, even to the very end of the age. I will never leave you nor forsake you. Wherever your road takes you, wherever your heavenly Father directs you, I myself will be with you. And more than that, I'm going to plant within you the promised Holy Spirit. And he will draw you to me uh, and or draw you to me to that final promised land. And what is the gift that we see God give in Christ's absence in Acts chapter 2? immediately, Tongues of fire, little pillars of fire, come upon God's people and indwell them. Peter, as he sees these things, he quotes from the prophet Joel, saying, God will show you wonders in the heavens above and signs in the earth below, blood and fire and vapor of smoke or cloud And it will descend on that day that I pour out my spirit. In other words, I will show you by these signs and wonders, not just who I am, not just that I exist, but that I am with my people indwelling you, guaranteeing your inheritance in the heavenly promised land, that land that Joseph longed for and has found. You see, people of God, the point of all this is that even now, though we do not see a pillar of fire or cloud, when we look out our window, God is no less with you than he was with the people of God of old. In fact, we can be more certain of his presence than they. For we look back on the pillar of cloud and fire and we can look back Not just to that day when God walked before them, but we can look back to the incarnation of Emmanuel, God with us. And we can trust in the promise of the indwelling Holy Spirit that in all of them, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, God is with us, guiding us home. That is the promise that is sure through Christ. And though the road may wind and take you to places you never intended to go, or would rather avoid altogether, just like Frodo and Sam on the road to Mordor. Nevertheless, in the midst of all of it, in the midst of whatever trials you face, God is with you, and he will guide us to our final homeland in the end. May we take comfort in the promises of God, their yes and amen, and fulfilled in Christ Jesus our Lord and our Savior. Amen. Let's pray. Our Father, we come before you and we thank you. We thank you that you do not bring us out into the wilderness to die. But that wherever you take us in this life, even the small hardships that we endure, even the large one, and the large ones as well, that you do not abandon your people that you do not forsake your people, that you do not depart from your people. Father, we pray that you would remind us that these things are as real and as tangible as if we were to look out the window and see a cloud descending from heaven to earth or a pillar of fire. Father, help us to remember these truths and, yes, to embrace them by faith and not by sight, but to know that you are working, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, to draw your people into your final promised land. Father, give us eyes that see beyond this world into the world to come. It may be an encouragement for us as we walk through whatever it is that you bring us to. Our Father, we pray all of these things in Jesus' name. Amen.